I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 9. Finish up our series in the book of Judges last week. We begin a series now in the book of Psalms. We'll be kind of jumping around in the book. Uh, This week, looking at a a psalm for Thanksgiving. Um, Next week, we'll begin looking at psalms for Advent, for the season of Advent. And then we'll close out uh, the year with a psalm for the new year. So looking at Psalm 9, in in verse 1, it speaks of recounting all of your wonderful deeds. We've heard a lot about that idea in the news lately, this idea of recounting. uh, Once again, Florida was in the middle of the controversy. Um, At least we have our act together over here in California. Right? It's not too hard to com- or complicated to count all those votes. Now, hopefully, recounting the wonderful deeds of the Lord is not as complicated as recounting votes <clears throat> for an election. Um, just to point out here before we read the passage as well, Psalm 10, you'll notice, um, you look ahead, there's, there's no title there. You have the, the title that's given by your translation, probably, Especially if you're in the ESV, it says, why do you hide yourself? But notice there's no, there's no um, inspired title like the one in Psalm, in Psalm 9, where it speaks to the choir master. According to Muth Laban, a Psalm of David, there is no title in, in 10. And so it's um, thought that originally this was one psalm, that Psalm 9 and 10 was one song, and it's mostly acrostic in the Hebrew. There's only a few changes that, that were made by uh, David as he wrote this psalm, and so it actually is consistent with that theory. Um, it would make sense that this was originally one psalm, but there is a tr- uh, an abrupt transition when you get to uh, chapter 10, and so we are just going to focus on the first half of this psalm, which is the full chapter, Psalm 9. And this is a song of thanksgiving. It's, in fact, a, it could also be considered a prayer for confidence, asking uh, for a reminder of confidence in God's past and future deliverances from enemies. Sometimes that's hard for us to relate to, but hopefully as we read the passage, we'll see it's very applicable to us today. David primarily praises God for his righteous judgment. It's really kind of the theme of this chapter. He's praising God for his righteous judgment. And I wonder if that sounds a bit awkward to you, praising God for judgment. The justice of God is is probably not being highlighted in too many pulpits this morning, especially those that are preaching on Thanksgiving, to to be reminded of, of God's justice, his righteous judgment. But that is really what this psalm is about. That is what predominantly occupies David's praise here. And so I think it's very instructive for us as we give thanks to God. So before we read it, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we do depend upon your spirit every time we open your word to gain insight, to have some understanding of it, to recognize how it applies to our lives. Lord, it's living, it's powerful, it's effective. It does not return void. 
And so may your spirit accompany our reading and the preaching of this word that we might have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth. May you would soften our hearts to believe and respond appropriately to this truth. And Lord, to ultimately give you glory for all that you've accomplished, for your wonderful deeds. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. So read with me Psalm chapter 9. To the choir master, according to Muthlaban, a psalm of David, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their names forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruin. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble for those who know your name, put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift, up, who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, why do you think this is the emphasis in David's Heart as he's reflecting upon the wonderful deeds of God, as he's recounting and declaring praise to God, and he turns here in reflection upon God's judgment. I think we do have a tendency to compare ourselves to those not like us, right? To look out at the world, to see their, their joy, to see their treasures, to see 
they don't seem to experience some of the same afflictions, or maybe they do, but, but we believe in God. Shouldn't we have a different experience? Shouldn't we be saved or preserved from affliction? And so we look at them and we wonder, and maybe we feel we're filled with doubt about God's love for us. So David here is reminding himself, he's calling himself to reflect upon the true state of things. Right? That, that the circumstances he finds himself in, the affliction that he's experiencing, are not the ultimate reality. But he, he has been rescued. He has been restored. He has received the promises of God's victory. And so he praises God. He recounts God's wonderful deeds. All of them, past, present, and future. In fact, even the future ones, he recounts as if they've already happened, as if they were past deeds of our righteous king. So in your sermon handout, that's the summary I have for this psalm. Let us joyfully recount the wonderful past, present, and future deeds of our righteous king. And it breaks down into two sections here, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. We see a hymn of praise, a hymn of praise. Verses 1 and 2, as well as 11 and 12, could be categorized as, as statements of praise. David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And then you see that same kind of theme come back in verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord. It's not just David saying it, but now he's calling this corporate gathering to sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. This is, this is for the people of God to sing. David acknowledges, first of all, who he's praising, as well as how he's offering his praise. He's, he's offering it wholehearted. His whole being is involved here. He's giving everything to his praise. He's not half-hearted. He's not double-hearted. He wants to give thanks to God with his whole heart. And the word here for recount in Hebrew, safer, it, it could be translated declaring or telling or even making a written record. Uh, all of them would be appropriate translations of this word. And it's found twice in this psalm, in verse 1 and then in, again in verse 14. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds the second half of verse 1, and then in verse 14, that I may recount all of your praises. Again, or you could say declare or tell or make a written record of God's praise. That's what this psalm is doing. And he's telling of the wonderful deeds of God's miraculous deliverances. He has in mind here, maybe not some specific deliverance, but just God's miraculous deliverances throughout history thinking of maybe the exodus or his preservation of the people wandering, right? the, the wandering Israelites. Making God's deeds known involves rejoicing and singing praise to him. Corporately, 
gathering together to do that, we openly make known the joy in our hearts. In 3 and 4, he speaks of the enemies turning back and they stumble and perish before your presence, but you have maintained my just cause. You've sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. So he now pictures God as this taking on himself the character of a righteous judge. He's sitting on his throne. And again, that theme is repeated later on in verses um, 7 through 10, where the Lord sits enthroned forever, and you can continue to read about God's righteous reign. But thinking of verse 3 here, he speaks of his enemies turning back and then stumbling and perishing before his presence. This is... David imagining a future judgment as if it's already occurred. And they're, they're considered prophetic perfects. They're very common in the Psalms. I mean, uh, very common in the prophets, but you also find them in the Psalms here. Prophetic purpose, where, where or, or um, pr- prophetic perfects. It's a tongue twister there. But it describes future events, the future fulfillment of God's promises in past tense language. So it's as if they've already occurred. He's so confident that they will occur. And specifically, we, we know this because look at in verse 5. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Well, until the last final judgment, we know that this is not ultimately fulfilled. This is a picture of the final judgment taking place where the wicked have perished. He's saying that they have been rebuked. They have perish. They have been utterly destroyed so that they are forgotten. Whereas the wicked will be forgotten forever, God's name will be praised forever. He is the one who sits enthroned forever and we sing praises to him, the most high. And so, continuing on down, seven through ten, you have the Lord sits enthroned Forever, he sits upon his throne to bring justice. He judges with righteousness and uprightness. He provides safety as a, a mighty fortress for those who are troubled and oppressed, those who are afflicted. God assists his people in their affliction. He does not forsake those who trust in his name. In other words, those who know him, those who know his character, As a loving father, he does not forsake them. He will vindicate his own. So regardless of how low your circumstances have brought you, in this season of thanksgiving, we can look up. We can see God seated on his throne. We can know that he is in control, that he is sovereign, that he is working out his perfect will for his glory and for your good. These are precious promises to not forget, to not lose sight of as we often do. Again, now he comes back to closing out this first half in praise. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. David closes in the same place that he began with praise. Sing praises to the Lord who reigns and tell the nations about all the Lord has done. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Do you consider that as you sing praises to God, that we are singing them, that we are declaring them in such a way that the world hears? 
that they know who we give credit for our victories. Sing praise to the Lord who reigns and tell the nations about it. The Lord, again, keeps the afflicted in mind. He hears their cries and he does not forget their cry. Well, I think a, a, a good illustration of this kind of psalm is found in the Song of Moses. They have just been delivered. Right? They've just crossed the Red Sea. And Moses writes this song and he sings it with the people. And he declares, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Lord is his name. Notice the, the combining there of justice and salvation. That he recognizes they've been saved precisely because God has seen fit to destroy Pharaoh's army. The, the wind with which God blew back the waters and made a path for them to march across on dry land, for the Israelites to march up across to safety, that same wind rushed the water back in over the Pharaoh's army. And as the song declares, Overthrowing horse and rider. Moses continues, You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Very similar language to what David uses. Your wonderful deeds. You stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them. Well, the Lord's victory was achieved through the destruction of, of Pharaoh's army. And in the same way, David now is praising God for past deliverances like that. As well as his present experiences, he himself has been on the brink of death multiple times. He's experienced God's deliverance and we'll transition into that in the very next verse, verse 13. But he's also looking forward to this future deliverance at the final judgment. And so as, as we reflect upon that, praising God for his deliverance and for his salvation necessitates the destruction of everything that threatens our peace with him. Right, if we're going to give God praise for salvation, then we ought to give him praise for destroying anything that, that would prevent us from doing that. Anything that would distract us from that peace. Anything that would disrupt the peace we have with him. We can give him praise. Mercy and justice are not competing truths. They they support one another. They uphold one another. They're dependent upon one another. And so think about this personally. Have you experienced God's salvation in that way? What enemies has God destroyed in order to rescue you? 
As you recount God's wonderful deeds, consider the idols of your heart that he has already removed from your life. Recount them. And then also, consider this. I think this is a a possible paradigm shift in our prayer. Praise him also for the destruction of every last competing idol that he has already removed. That will be destroyed in the final judgment. It's not just a grammatical trick. Christ has promised and fulfilled at every last enemy, every last sin that holds sway over us will be destroyed. And we can give him praise for that even now, even in the midst of experiencing ongoing temptation in that sin. We can praise him for destroying it on the last day as if it's already occurred. And like David, as you reflect upon Thanksgiving this week, you might find yourself reflecting upon a present threat, a very present sense of distress. <clears throat> and you should, re- you should follow his pattern here as well in his plea for mercy. So the first section is verse 1 through 12, a hymn of praise, and now you have a plea for mercy. Verses 13 through 14, David gets very personal here, very direct in his own experience. Be gracious to me, O Lord. He's calling the people just previously to sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion, and now he personalizes it. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. This is the the present threat he's experiencing. David cries out for the Lord to see his affliction and to lift him up out of the gates of death. It's his first acknowledgement in this psalm of personal distress, and he's clearly in a state of great fear. His affliction has brought him to the brink of of death on a number of occasions, and you might want to Apply this to some of those situations, and at times that can be helpful, and some of the Psalms give us very direct um, instruction on that. David, while he was experiencing this, he wrote this Psalm, right? So we can do that in some cases. We don't have that privilege here. We don't know precisely what occasioned this Psalm, and that itself can be helpful as well because it generalizes the application, We don't have to know precisely what was causing David to be fearful here in order to understand it, in order to relate to it. And we can be confident of his deliverance, uh, of, of our deliverance, just like he was confident of his. David could say that, that he will declare and recount God's praises and rejoice in God's salvation, even in this present distress. that I may recount all your praises there in verse 14. So David's, notice that, David's present affliction, which was very real, very distressing, that was bringing him into the depths of, of agony, does not prevent him from present worship. In fact, it drove him to worship. 
Make sure your distress does the same thing, that your affliction brings you back to remember that God is with you, that he upholds you. He closes this psalm, verses 15 through 20, with just a a number of things of of future certainties. So his present affliction, and then he's reminded of future certainties. He speaks of God thwarting the plans of the nations, causing them to be caught in their own traps. In fact, you go back to Psalm 7, you see something similar. In Psalm 7, verse 16, another psalm of David, his mischief returns upon his own head and on his skull, his violence descends. We heard a lot about the violence of the wicked in, in the book of Judges and, and how that wickedness was destroying itself. Right? They, they fall into their own traps. We see this over and over again uh, in, in Scripture. Haman hangs on his own gallows. In Esther chapter 7, verse 10, the officials who accuse Daniel... When God preserves Daniel in the lion's den, those same officials are then thrown in and devoured. Daniel 6, 24. So the Lord's judgment is ensnaring the wicked by their own devices, by their own schemes. And then you have this musical pause here at the end of verse 16, Haggaion, Selah. We don't know precisely what that means. We believe it's a musical or liturgical term. So whatever's happening there, whether it's a transition in the tune or a transition in the, um, in the rhythm or the pattern of, of the song, of the, of the music of the song, whatever it is, it's, it's emphasizing what he's talking about here. It's causing us to pause. It's, it, it's saying, think about that, meditate upon this. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Be mindful of that when you look out upon the world and you look with envy. Be mindful of that final state. God will bring judgment upon the wicked, and the wicked nations shall turn. In verse 17 here, it says, return to Sheol, could be translated, the, the wicked shall turn into Sheol. And I do believe this has more to, do than, more to say than simply that they'll be turned into the grave. Because then their fate would be simply the same as, as everyone else's. He's speaking here of, of hell. All the nations that forget God, he's saying that they will receive judgment. They reject what knowledge they have of God, even as we were considering in Sunday school this morning. That they forget God. It implies that they have some knowledge of him that they're rejecting. But then on the flip side, verse 18, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. The Lord will not forget his needy people. His chosen people living in poverty will never be without hope. So this psalm is a prayer for the perseverance of the saints and those who are needy and poor, those who are afflicted. David calls for the judgment of the nations who do not recognize their frailty. He closes with that idea here. May they be humbled. In fact, we are but a, but a breath. Psalm 144, 
Verse 4, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. We saw that same theme in Ecclesiastes. He wants them to be reminded of the limits of mortal beings. They're human, not divine. And although God will receive the glory in the punishment of the wicked, our prayer, like David's here, is that they would be humbled to repentance. That they might recognize with humility, who they are before God. That they would fear him and that that might be the beginning of wisdom for them. Well, ultimately, this psalm is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. We've been delivered by Christ's wonderful deeds as we recount those past, present, and future deeds, let us look to the cross. Let us look to redemption that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. He swallowed up death in victory. He wasn't merely at the gates of death. He truly died. Buried. Dead. but he now is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right, defeating death. The Lord is enthroned in the midst of the church and he saves us from the self-destructive effect of sin in our own life by conquering sin on the cross, by defeating death in his resurrection. And so that is what we should joyfully recount These are the wonderful past, present, and future deeds of our righteous king. And so may this psalm remind us of Christ's victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for these reminders that that we have peace with you and that we experience that peace and that fellowship with you precisely because you have defeated our enemies our greatest enemy being sin and death. You've sent your son to live that perfect life that we could not live and then to die for us on the cross and to take our shame and our guilt and our sin and all of its punishment upon himself so that we might receive his glory, his righteousness. And so because of that, we are filled with praise. We are filled with thankfulness, with gratitude for your wonderful deeds. And we can declare them confidently as if every last enemy has already been destroyed. Help us to reflect upon that this week and to give you glory and praise. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.